You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 116. I literally could not access God until I started living as the person God created me to be. Grace Semler Baldridge, who goes professionally by the artist name Semler, is a self-identified sad queer folk artist. She's the creator of the docu-series State of Grace on Refinery29, where she explores what it means to identify as a Christian as well as a member of the LGBTQ community, which was nominated for a GLAAD Award for Outstanding Digital Journalism. She's known for her TV shows Murder with Friends and Pop Trigger, but recently, as in just a couple of weeks ago, she made history by being the first ever out queer person to top the Christian music charts with her new album preacher's kid like <laughs> like that just blows my mind literally an out queer person topped the christian music charts it, it just wild to me so cool and that like ousted lauren daigle from that position and, and grace stayed at that at the top of the charts for like a week which is that's quite something <laughs> It's amazing. Anyway, I I am so excited to have Grace on the show today. I've been wanting to have Grace on the show for a very long time. She's doing amazing work in this world. And today's the day, especially with with like all of the buzz around her new album. No announcements today. So let's just go ahead and dive in. Grace, hi, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I've been looking forward to coming on this podcast for a while. Oh, I'm so excited too. This is, I mean, I think like I said to you, like I've been wanting this for quite a while and then this just felt like the the right time to do it. So welcome. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, I Yeah, definitely sort of, we were just going over like the six degrees of separation with people in our lives. And this just feels like absolutely the right time to finally sit down and meet each other and connect. Oh, so good. So to start, the, the question I ask everyone, how do you identify and how has your faith helped form that identity? So I would identify as queer in every regard. <laughs> and how has my faith helped form that identity? 
you know, something I've come to discover and really celebrate recently is that I had this really clear sense of self when I was a kid. And then as I grew up and I became more aware of worldly messages, I started to diminish that sense of self. And now as I've sort of come back into my faith, rediscovered my faith through deconstruction, it's allowed me to embrace being queer and celebrate being queer in a way that I never knew was possible, that I I hadn't heard about prior to experiencing it myself. And then in so doing, discovering other people who felt similarly. And so that is how faith and deconstructing my faith and rebuilding the parts that have been there for me have created this identity that I'm really proud of. And I'm really happy to have arrived at this point. What has that process kind of looked like? Because I I know that that story of kind of growing up in the church and having a sense of self or not having a sense of self and then deconstructing and then that that refinding something. I'm so curious about what that looked like for you. I think it starts with with something small, as many sort of great movements do. They start with something small that sort of like piques your interest or your curiosity. And it was for me, I think looking at the example of my dad, who is an Episcopal priest, and how he's always been really loving, affirming, and accepting. And then sort of just watching that example, not like a person that was going to prides or like, not like he he would never have described himself as like this LGBTQ plus advocate, but he just sort of was in how he lived. And then seeing wider Christian messages from, I guess, pastors and preachers that were perhaps more successful in like a visible way than my dad saying something entirely different. And that sort of, that starts you questioning. Like, I know the character of this person And I know that they are loving and they're truly like doing their best every day. And yet I'm hearing from people in positions of power that that's wrong. I need to like go back to the book on this. Like I need to start evaluating what's going on here. And then I also started, I like the metaphor that we use a lot of like rotten fruit that we see in the Bible, like this fruit is rotten or this fruit is good. And for me, when... I was like adhering to all the sort of puritanical conservative Christian rules. I was so rotten. I was just like anyone who knew me then would tell you like I was the worst version of myself. And I think that that also made me start questioning like how good is this fruit? You know, like how how good is this God that I'm praying to if I'm so broken and I'm following all your rules and I'm miserable? It's so interesting because you're talking first about people. Like I like I feel like so many stories, so many people in these kind of spaces in my story, like I started out with God, like with this kind of idea of like God has these rules, which of course was taught by people, but God has these rules. But but you're saying like you actually had a person in your life, your dad, who modeled something so different from that, and yet all of that shit (laughs) still got in. That's the thing. I think I'm a little bit of an interesting example of, I was raised in, again, not an explicitly affirming household. They didn't know they had a queer kid. We've unpacked that. (laughs) Like they didn't know when I was born that I would be who I am. And 
yet I was still very, you know, conditioned to be accepting and loving. There were all sorts of different people at our church. However, the wider church culture, you know, when you send me on a mission trip and you're sending me to a youth breakfast and you're not really interrogating what theology is being preached there, I was not spared from that. And I think that something that I've sort of worked through with my dad, honestly, since the EP has come out, is that he probably should have asked more questions. I think he assumed that every place that I would be going, that he had, you know, organized with other churches in the area and whatnot, that they would all sort of be as he is, just a really, he's like a really sweet person, like he really is. And I think he assumed that that sort of kindness and like deferring to the instinct and the purity of like who a kid is and how they come out to you and things like that was going to be sort of the example and the standard at other Christian organizations. And that's just simply not true. And so there I am like going on like a young life trip or something and you don't, and he doesn't know exactly like what is being preached there and who the leaders are there and that they don't believe differently. And I think that's part of, you know, the privilege of just being like a cis straight white dude in a leadership position in a church. He didn't know what he didn't know. And now he knows. (laughs) Now it's, I've made it clear. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, you mentioned this, this EP, which you just released a few weeks ago, Preacher's Kid, which just that name I love. And I mean, it's, it's this compilation of music I mean, I, as I was listening to it, it's just so honest and raw, but in a way that feels processed. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> like no, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> it's not like the first time I'm thinking these thoughts. Right, sort of thing. right. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I kind of watched pieces of this album come together on social media, like, like, for, like on Twitter and TikTok and Instagram. Like, it, it almost felt like this communal creation almost in some ways. I mean, tell me about this. Yeah, so it absolutely came together sort of in front of everyone that was paying attention and somehow still sort of unbeknownst to me until it like came out, until I realized what had happened. But you're right, it really sort of played out in real time. So I have hosted this documentary series called State of Grace, which is a series about looking at the intersections of faith and American life. So however, you know, we've done like gun violence, we've looked at abortion and the death penalty. And then the final episode before quarantine was about the Christian music industry just sort of checking in with the gatekeepers. Our thesis was sort of like, anytime there's an exchange of money, compromises are made. So what do those compromises look like in an industry that purportedly serves God? And I've grew up with Christian music. You know, again, like if you're a preacher's kid, like your CCM magazine is our people magazine, basically. <laughs> like these are Reliant K is a celebrity. Like this is the culture that I grew up in. And I was really interested to check back in. And I followed very closely what had happened with Jennifer Knapp, who, if you're if you're not familiar, she was like absolutely the industry darling, just one of the most incredible songwriters I like grew up listening to. And then she came out and she was just totally blacklisted from the industry. And so we went to Nashville in like February of last year. And we did this episode and we interviewed people who for various reasons were either cast out from the industry for maybe being affirming, for coming out as a feminist, for coming out as queer. Like there were a whole bunch of people that we spoke to that were just not allowed in this genre. And we also spoke to a label executive 
who definitely didn't research the show before he agreed to that interview. <laughs> and <laughs> we didn't end up being able to air the interview. But in our conversation, I asked him, I was like, you know, is there space for a queer storyteller, someone speaking out against purity culture? Is there any space for a difference of theology in the genre? And he basically was like, no, no one's interested. This doesn't come up. We don't, we don't talk about this because no one cares. And you know, that little, that planted a little seed in my brain. And then we come back home and shortly after lockdown happens, and I'm still just really like reeling from these conversations I had in Nashville. And also I think like with many people, when we were faced with this crazy situation of COVID out of nowhere and our lives just seemingly changed overnight, I went back into rediscovering music from my childhood for the sense of familiarity. I really went back into like nostalgia central was like where I lived and that was all Christian music. So I started doing these Christian covers on TikTok and just inviting people to duet in a sense of like reclaiming this music where we wouldn't be allowed at these shows today as ourselves. Like, I mean, yeah, technically you'd be allowed, but I've been to things like this and I always get like stared at and clocked and people come up to me and pray for me. It's awful. It's like the worst. <laughs> I don't recommend going. And so it was sort of our way of like reclaiming it stuck at home. And then, so I'm doing these covers and I'm thinking about Christian music and then I'm a songwriter myself and I just start writing just music, like all these songs, a lot of it didn't even make the EP that I'm still sort of working on and developing about wrestling with my faith and wrestling with a predominant culture that rejects me for who I am. Like I came out as myself, I revealed who God created me to be to people and everyone except for my sweet parents basically just were like absolutely not you know people that i considered to be family were just like no way and just wrestling with that feeling through music and then when i finished working on it i was like it's kind of a christian record isn't it and then i was immediately like no it's not like you can't do that that's stupid and then my wife was like why can't you like seriously like what are all these songs about these are all meditations on your time you know, coming through faith, wrestling with deconstruction, finding faith again, and the stories along the way. Why isn't this a Christian record? Why is Switchfoot more like Christian than something that you're putting out right now, just because it's not a worship record? And then I was like, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's the most honest, the only honest genre I can put on this project. Preacher's Kid is a Christian record. And then I thought it would be cool if we cracked top 40 and then we reach number one for like four days straight. Uh, it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. It's so strange. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Because like the lockdown of the Christian music industry and, and like that sense of this can only be done one way. And for an openly queer person who's created an album about God, but is also talking honestly about sex and smoking weed and like all of these just like, you know, normal things that people do <laughs> to hit number one. Yeah, with an explicit label too. Most people, like the people who've kind of come at me, the interesting thing that they get caught up on is the swearing. Like they don't like the swearing. And I understand that it's some people don't like swearing. That's okay. That's your preference. But it's weird that that seems to be sort of a hang-up rather than the line, like, the mission trips are scams. They do more harm than good. We've got fame-hungry pastors making bank in Hollywood. 
why don't you have an issue with that? I would love to talk to you about that, but I drop an F-bomb and where it's a problem, like that's what we're sad about. Okay. Well, I, I'm so curious. Like, I mean, I have my own thoughts on this, but like, why do you think that is? Why the swearing? Yeah. Well, I mean, why, why do you think people are getting so hung up on swear words versus what, like what you're actually talking about? I think it's because it's easy. And I think that unfortunately the gospel has been sort of reduced down to these very basic rules and tenets that are really more societal and cultural, specifically within like the 20th century, than actually biblical. And I think if you really examine biblical values, if you look at the the lived experience of Jesus, we're going to have to have a more complicated conversation about tearing down systems of oppression that exist. And that is a lot harder to digest than just don't say, oh my God. Because you know what I mean? If you're if you're given these really strict and unexamined parameters, it's oddly easier to follow than, okay, we have to, we're failing. All these systems we created, all these man-made systems, they will fail. They are currently failing and harming people. So we need to go back to the drawing board. That is so much more painful and complicated, specifically within like white evangelical communities, which is like largely the audience that has been like receiving this work, than don't say the F word. You know, like that's what it is. It's like, no, she did, she broke the one rule. And I'm like, um, I think the rule that we need to break is capitalism, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, yeah. I mean, that feels, that feels so true. And in some ways, like that word easier is sticking out to me. It's, and I don't necessarily want to speak for them, <laughs> but it does certainly seems that way, right? Like <laughs> it certainly seems that way. Yeah. And I don't think that, I think that the interesting like layer to it is that I know that because of the parameters placed on so many Christians within like conservative culture, probably doesn't feel easy. But I also think that the attention is just totally misguided because you're focusing on not swearing and you're focusing on always being nice and pleasant to people rather than like wrestling with complicated feelings about doubt and being angry and understanding that like the depth of human emotion is divine, that there's nothing wrong with experiencing feelings. And I think that sometimes it's like we've created these very rigid boxes for people and told them that this is how you get to heaven rather than like the divine is in you always and you're never separate from God. And so let's explore that rather than like God wants you to be nice to people all the time and you have to never swear and you have to dress a certain way. Like what a tiny, tiny God that would be concerned about your hemline. In the first track on the album, Bethlehem, you sing about, like, this is paraphrasing a little bit, but like, what I wouldn't give for an inch of your peace. And, and I'm assuming, I, I don't know this for sure, but but my imagination is telling me that you're, you're singing about God in those lines, just an inch of peace. And what struck me, though, was even as you sang that and then the rest of the album, there is this sense of peace. 
of settledness in who you are. So that juxtaposition was just fascinating to me, that that like yearning for peace, which I so identify with. <laughs> and also the peace that felt like it was just coming through. I'm curious about that. Yeah, I think that that line, it kind of sort of came out of nowhere, perhaps even surprising me when I wrote it and when I was working on that song. Bethlehem is very much like my my thesis in some ways. And it was very much stream of consciousness, especially from like the second verse onward. Just all, I wrote it all in kind of one take and recorded it like the next day. And it's a reflection on a few things. The first one is that I have these really vivid memories of being at like church camps and stuff and everyone's hands going up and, you know, everyone looks so moved by the spirit. And I was so not there and looking around almost like with one eye open and being like, man, what I would give to feel that whatever they're feeling I want to feel that. And I couldn't get there so long as I was presenting as like straight and femme. Like I literally could not access God until I started living as the person God created me to be. So there's an element of that in there. The other thing is that the way that I experience God through prayer is peace. You know, the peace that surpasses all understanding. And I long for that every day. And sometimes I receive that peace and sometimes I ha- I, I'm able to have those connections. But I also just want to be honest about the fact that like some days in this economy, <laughs> it's hard, <laughs> you know? And so I think it's kind of a reflection on both of like, I know what that peace feels like. I desire that peace and that connection. And sometimes it becomes so frustrating to have known it and then to have days when I need it and I can't get there. And that's life. You know, people talk every day and I wa- I like watch YouTube videos about people with prayer routines and maybe it's like the soothing music in the background and they just seem so enlightened. And I'm like, how are you getting there every day? And sometimes I do. And then other days I'm just like, I can, I'm so hurting right now. I'm so angry. I'm so distracted. And to have a song that reflects that. Because a lot of times I'm hurting and I'm distracted because of people acting in the name of God, because of just the career path I've formed for myself. I want to pray, but fucking the guy from Mosaic has a clothing line for like $2,000 a shirt. Like I am so distracted and I'm mad about this. And I don't understand how these people are successful when there are like, there are documentations of abuse at their hands. Like that's sort of the the, the thing that I'm reflecting on. It's almost painful to have known peace and then have days when you can't access it, sometimes when it feels like I need it the most. And how do I get back there? Oh, that's so true. Like that, that especially that sense of like looking around and seeing like the, for lack of a better term, like the, the professional Christians yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who, who, who seem to like have it. And then that, that sense of like, well, then where, where is mine? And is there something wrong with me? And I mean, all of those questions that come up that I wonder, this is interesting. I is just, I'm processing as I talk. I, I wonder how tied that is also to our queerness. I mean, at least for me, like how, like there is something wrong with me is almost hardwired into my self in some ways. Like I've of course worked with those parts of myself, but it's pretty easy to go there, especially in the spiritual realm. <laughs> oh, totally. I think that also 
we are so used to, um, Kevin Garcia says, I love this expression, proof texting. Like we're so used to proof texting our life, our existence, and like providing the receipts. Like this is how I got here. This is who I am. This is why I'm valid. And this is how my faith is here for me. And this is how God has shown up for me. And almost like defending your relationship with the divine in a way that cis straight people will never understand and never have to do. And so when you see them just sort of act in abundance beyond reproach, it's frustrating because we will never know that type of audacity. (laughs) You will never know it because we're always sort of like double checking our work because we've been told there's something broken in us because of who we are. Like there's something just absolutely rotten inside of you. And we had to do that work to unpack our true hearts and our true selves. And hopefully you reach a point of arriving at a place of peace, but to see people who have never had to do that work seemingly acting just out of pocket for lack of a better word, the feeling is like, how dare you? (laughs) How dare you? Hey y'all, I wanted to tell you about a new resource that I have up on my website. It's a masterclass that I recorded with Linda K. Klein. If you haven't heard of Linda, she's the author of the book Pure, Inside the Evangelical Movement That Shamed a Generation of Young Women and How I Broke Free. So Linda and I last year sat down and recorded a masterclass called Four Practices You Can Start Now to Move Beyond Shame. If you were around for my book launch, you're, you're aware we were giving away that for free, now we're making it available to everyone. So if you want that masterclass, it is it's free. <laughs> Just head over to my website, MatthiasRoberts.com. It'll be the first thing that you see on there. Just click I want the masterclass, put in your email address, and I will send you the masterclass right away. Four practices you can start now to move beyond shame. It's an incredible resource. Most of it's Linda's work, really embodied practices that you can start wherever you are at on your journey with shame. So, highly recommend it. MatthiasRoberts.com. Hope you enjoy it. You have another line in the song Jesus from Texas, which I also love. (laughs) I'm going to read it. Oh, what a terrible honor it's been to learn that my blessings you call sin I'll spend the rest of my life tearing down the Jesus from Texas you put in a crown. That little bit just gave me chills. The sense of both owning the blessing and the the deep pain in that. Yeah, I remember sort of thinking I needed to fit the the beat of like, oh, uh, da, 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 da. I didn't know what the words were. And then it sort of came to me like, it's a terrible honor. I'm so happy to have arrived at this point. I'm so grateful for the visibility of myself and podcasts like yours and spaces that are cropping up that are healing and that offer comfort and community. I'm so grateful for that. It would have been a game changer for me growing up to know that there were people saying it's okay to be, but it's also, it sucks. You know, like it, it just sucks. I think that while the responsive preachers kid has been encouraging, it sucks that so many people are able to identify with this pain and that we were gaslit for so long that it didn't exist and that we were alone and that we were isolated and there was something wrong with us that we couldn't fit in. And now we're starting to step into our power and 
it's beautiful to see everybody. I mean, it is, I cry, like cry all the time, but it also sucks that we all had to go through this before people would start taking us seriously. And they're only just starting to take us seriously and listen, you know, it's only, we're just starting, which again is hopeful and it's beautiful, but it doesn't negate the pain that brought us here. So that's kind of the, the terrible honor of it all is like, well, here we made it, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like after like a really turbulent (laughs) flight, when you land, you're happy that you landed, but like, God, the turbulence, I would have, I could have given that up, you know? Totally. Grace, how do you find yourself working with that pain? I think not to be too much of a downer, but it's kind of the only thing I know. I started writing music around the time I started figuring out I was queer. The first song I ever wrote on guitar, I was always writing songs in my head, but when I started teaching myself chords, I was probably 13 and it's a really bad song. And unfortunately I can remember it. And the line is, the first line I ever wrote on guitar was like, like repent for or like apologize for that it was this secret or something. And then the songs after that were all like songs of just heartbreak going through typical like high school stuff, but it's uh, ramped up a few notches when it's secret and gay. (laughs) So, um, so the the place that I write from, like I was never introduced to songwriting as something other than an outlet for pain. So it, I'm pretty comfortable in that space. And it's kind it really is like a therapy for me, checking in with old memories, checking in with feelings I never allowed myself to speak aloud. Sometimes it's easier when I can say it. And I'm 30 now, but I'm still unpacking things that happened when I was 17. Yeah, I mean, that ability to be able to process through a medium, whether it's like songwriting or poetry or writing or, you know, any of those things, it does feel like therapy. (laughs) It's like a almost like a container for that pain. So you don't have to carry it all yourself anymore. I put out Jesus from Texas initially just on my SoundCloud because I just wanted to get it out of my system because there's a catharsis for me once I release a song. If I sit on a song for too long, I feel like I haven't really shared it. I haven't honestly like unloaded whatever I'm talking about. And so I went through something with a friend. It's kind of always, I think that I think I'm going to be going through this thing for the rest of my life, potentially with this friend. And I just had to like, get it out there. So I like released it on SoundCloud and a few friends of mine listened to it. And they were like, this is probably good. Like you should, this is your most honest songwriting in a while. And you should keep writing from this place, which I I was, I was working on like preacher's kid at the time, but I didn't know that Jesus from Texas was going to be on there. And once I put it out, And especially like that last verse and that last chorus, I felt so good. I felt so good. Like when people were listening to it and relating to it, it was like the therapy that I needed for that situation because I'd really been holding in a lot of things about what was happening. And there was just something like, like some divine sense of magic. When I put out that song, I remember like, talking to my wife about it and just being like in the car, just almost screaming, being like, I feel so relieved. Like I feel relief. And I never thought I would experience that with this situation. Cause it's been so heavy and like such a burden and it's incredible 
when you can phrase it and put it in a song, it just feels like it's just light. It's just, you really, I really send that trauma like out into the world. Now it's the world's problem. <laughs> now it's like not mine anymore. <laughs> so, I mean, it is so interesting to me that you, with this album, but also in some ways with your life, at least in the way that you're kind of describing it right now, like, like you, you mentioned this is a worship album. And I, I can't remember if it was like Washington Post or Relevant, one of the interviews you gave around this album, they said something like, I mean, this isn't like your Hillsong worship album. And and you essentially were like, but it is though. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I recognize that, you know, chicken, for example, is not, you know, let's throw up our hands and pray to the Lord. Like that's very much just a queer um, coming of age song. And yet there are elements of like Bethlehem and promised land that that is a meditation on my faith. And who is to say that that isn't a worship song? Like, it's not going to play like a Hillsong worship song. I understand that. I appreciate that. I'll work on that. I'll get you a Gay Ocean song. I'll, I'll write that. Yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it doesn't change the heart of the music. Who is someone else to come in and say, like, what I'd give for just an inch of your piece. And that, you know, I tried to make it sound as though, again, I, I just record everything on a USB mic in my office, so it should sound that way. But my vision for that is that it's sung by a room full of people who feel that same sort of longing and disappointment, but that same sense of optimism and hope for God and for faith. Is that not a worship song? Are there no examples of that in the Bible, of people wrestling with doubt? It puts, and I think it exposes, like that word worship and what we assume, what we think about it, versus I, I think you're in some ways inviting us to a much different experience of worship. Yeah, well, I think that it's okay to have a deep and complex, complicated relationship with a divine, all-powerful creator. We've really created this tiny box for how we can speak to Zeus God on a cloud. You know, it's very limiting. And I understand if that's how some people find comfort in their relationship with God, far be it from me to make any assessment on that. Like that's, if that is where you are, that is fine. I'm just saying that there's also space for a different type of relationship with God. And for me, as soon as I like stripped back, like, part, I mean, a huge part of deconstruction is like, why have we assigned a gender to God? Think about it. Like, like that's, and that's a, like, that's like a hurdle. And I remember thinking about that and how do we know what names to call God and in what tradition and looking at other religious practices and other faith communities as well, and really broadening your scope it allows for a different type of prayer. And I think that there, it's strange that there's a genre of music that has said, we're Christian, but not like that. Who gets to make that distinction? A person. It's not God. God isn't the CEO of word records. <laughs> like, our CEO <laughs> is the Lord. Like, no, it's a man. It's a dude. It's a guy. He made the rules. You said a few minutes ago, you said something like, like I couldn't even access God until I embraced my queerness. Yeah, I think that I was so consumed with what other people thought of me. And when I was like dressing as like 
good Christian girl autumn. My voice was different. Like my smile was different. Everything about me was inauthentic. Everything about me, head to toe. My behaviors, my mannerisms. They're friends that I relaxed around that knew me. And so they were friends that I'd come out to privately, but publicly I was a fraud. I mean, I was just totally an imposter of who I am. And I knew that. And so in the back of my brain, every time I would try and pray and like bow my head in prayer, or be at a retreat somewhere or something where we're praying, I'm just thinking about, am I doing this right? You know, I'm just thinking about like, am I doing this right? Am I good? Am I okay? And knowing unmistakably, I was not, <laughs> I knew I was like, I'm not good. I'm bad. I'm really struggling, <laughs> but it seemed as though everyone else thought I was fine. And so I didn't want to touch it. I didn't want to ruffle any feathers. I was so afraid that people would reject me. And it wasn't until I started really taking time to like try and figure myself out. I like couldn't live like this anymore that God was revealed to me. And then I started becoming interested in scripture you know, I was never interested. Like I'd pretend I would be, I'd write like a Bible verse on my hand to feel like cool or something, but like, no, yeah, because I was very cool, you know, <laughs> extremely cool high schooler, but I didn't give, I like, didn't give a shit about what it meant. I just wanted people to think that I was Christian in like a certain type of way. And once I stopped being consumed with, I want to be a Christian and more, I want to be who God created me to be, then like the whole world opened up. And now it's like, I can't imagine, I used to feel, I used to like always make jokes about my past self. I would always honestly like make her the butt of every joke. And now I just feel a great deal of compassion for that person who is just so consumed with loathing and just feeling like really bad about myself all the time, because that was never divine. That was never from God. That was other people. I'm always so curious how people get to those places of compassion for the smaller parts of ourselves. Because I think it is so easy to make those parts of ourselves, you know, the butts of jokes or just resent and hate or feel just the sense of like, I want nothing to do with that kid. It's so hard. I really think time helps. And I know that isn't helpful if someone's listening that's kind of going through it midway through. But for me, it was time. And I also think that, and this is specific to me, but visually it's become a lot easier because I'm so far from that person. People will look at old photos of me and be like, where are you in the photo? Like it doesn't, it really looks like a different person. And that's, first of all, the goal. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) that was my goal. Um, And also it makes it easier to kind of look back on myself with fresh eyes and recognize, wow, I've come such a long way and what a road I had. And this person in this, you know, godforsaken outfit was the person that took that first step. And I would not be where I am today in feeling so happy and comfortable with myself and excited about the future if it had not been for this terrified girl with way too much blush and skinny jeans and flats on. If she had not taken that first step, I wouldn't be here. 
And she didn't know what she was doing. She had no roadmap. Are you kidding me? She's really sad. She's drunk all the time. She had no idea what was happening. <laughs> like, And I just think that it's time. And for me specifically visual, like it's like a visual reminder. And I used to like never share photos of myself because I would be like, then, then people will see that I haven't been gay the whole time, <laughs> but I have been gay the whole time. <laughs> like, that's the point. I feel like that's been my experience too of just the time. <laughs> and I hate that. Like I, I hate because it feels like the worst advice ever, right? Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> to, just to wait. say to yeah. someone, <laughs> wait. right? Like, well, just give it time. Like f- what? No, <laughs> like I want it now. And in some ways it's really true. Like time helps. It helps. And I think time and finding healthy ways to cope along the way. Like finding healthy outlets as you go, knowing that you have a road ahead of you, I think has been helpful. So I'm thinking of like, for me, I think songwriting, I think it was also really helpful as I got older to see more representations of just a healthy queer life. Even if I wasn't ready to like get there yet, being able to sort of privately check in on like people on YouTube or television show characters or books or whatever, like having those little placeholders of encouragement along the way were really helpful. Almost like if this is a, if this life is a marathon, which in many ways it is having those like water stations as you go, like you, you know that you are not at the finish line yet, but sometimes you have to just like check in with something to fuel you, to keep you going. And I think finding those for me was crucial. Yeah. And now you're like creating those water stations. <laughs> I think, well, that's, well, that's what we do, right? Like all we want to do is create something that would have helped us when we were 16 and miserable. That's all I want for this project. You know, forget 16 too, when I was 21 and just like absolutely coping in the worst ways with like the worst substance, like, no, 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 no. Like I want to be that outlet for you. And that would have helped me. And I would have, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are things I'm doing now that I'm going to like cringe at later and things that I made that I don't think are great or whatever, but I want someone to be able to like hang out with me and spend time with me and hear that like, you'll be okay because I'm okay. And you'll be okay too. It's so true. I mean, that's the only reason it's why I do this thing. show. It's like, right? literally like, why we're talking. Like, people are like, like, why did you do this? I'm like, because 11 year old me needed it. Like, <laughs> it's so true. But that's like the help. Like, that's what you hope for that you can, you know, take your traumas and your hurt and you can harness that energy because it is so charged into something beneficial. You know, like when I'm at my healthiest, I am writing music, I'm creating, I'm motivated, I'm trying to like, create a positive change. And I know what I'm at my worst, I'm trying to like, tear that kid down. So I want to like, keep like leaning into, I'm thinking of like a a highway metaphor, like I want to stay in this lane of like being helpful and moving forward and looking towards like what I can do to be helpful, because that's the healthiest way for me to process hurt. So for people who are I know we've talked about this a little bit, but at those very kind of beginning stages or maybe still in the middle (laughs) and who are trying to get a little bit further, what would you say? I think that it's important to recognize that you can 
get to a place that's more settled, but I don't know if you ever arrive and to start trying to find beauty in the journey. There's a theologian named Miley Cyrus who said it's the climb. Yes. It's the climb. (laughs) (laughs) I just watched the Hannah Montana movie over the weekend and it's true. It's so good. It like really is true. Um, So I think that sort of (laughs) that, that as a point of reference that to try and find those, those points of, peace in the journey. And then I think also if you're beginning a process of deconstruction and you're beginning a process of coming to celebrate your queer identity in Christ, for me, it was so helpful to find podcasts like this, to find resources that just put it in writing or put it in words, what was on my heart because you need that external validation because you won't really see it out and about, especially in Christian spaces and pr- predominantly in like conservative Christian spaces. So while I don't think that you have the responsibility forever to proof text your life, I don't, I really want to move away from that. I understand. And it was helpful to me to get that footing, to find that foundation and kind of like understand these texts that have been thrown at you and these theologies that have been thrown at you, these verses, unpack them. That was really helpful for me early on to build this strong foundation in what is biblical and um, what is just totally an invention of 20th century Western white like conventions. And understanding that is something that was really helpful to me. And then the other thing I would say is that you are not alone. I know that it might feel that way, but you are not alone. I remember feeling so like no one has ever felt heartbreak like this ever in their life. Like no one has ever known this type of pain, feeling certain that I was truly like in this, like this pioneer of pain. And I want you to hear that there are people who love you that are rooting for you. You are not alone and you will find your community and people are going to love you for who you are. Grace, how can people find your work? So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Grace Baldridge. You can listen to all my music under my artist name, which is Semler, S-E-M-L-E-R. And you can also follow my wife and I on TikTok for some wholesome queer chaos at The Baldridges. And we also have a weekly podcast that I never advertise, but it's super fun. It's called Under Our Roof. And if you want to just literally hang out with my wife and I, I love sound mixing. So it's, it's a, it's a, we got a lot like the podcast episode that came out today. I had fun with like boat noises and it's weird, but you should check it out. It's called (laughs) Under Our Roof and we tell stories and we read letters from other queer people and stuff like that. Well, this has just been a delight. Thank you so much for Thank you so much for having me. I've really looked forward to speaking with you. And I just so appreciate this platform that you've created. And this is just such a wonderful space. And I'm grateful for you and your work. Thank you. You can find Grace across social media at Grace Baldridge. And be sure to go pick up her new album, Preacher's Kid. I'd say, like, go buy it. It's, like, $5 on iTunes or stream it. Either one is great. But let's, let's like, if you have money, let's put it in queer artists' hands. <laughs> so go grab that album. Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod. Or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is made possible because of you. To find out how you can help keep Queerology on the air by becoming an active listener, head over to patreon.com slash Roberts. 
A really easy way to support the show is by leaving a rating and a review. You can do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the show or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll do my best to get back to you. And until next time, y'all, bye! These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.